We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, Ryan, let's dive into our daily mailbag, and we have some questions. Uh, if, if you have some questions you want us to address, throw them in now. If you threw a question in early, there's a ton of comments. We've had such we've had some great dialogue in today's chat. Like I've yeah. I've been so happy to see the chat. Like it's for the 99 of it's been on point. It's about what we're talking about. Great feedback. We're loving it. We're seeing a lot of it, but it's it, a lot of the questions at the top we just weren't able to. Star all of them, but we do have some. So if you did have some questions, uh, please feel free to throw those in now, and we'll get to those. We did have a question that we we did get to, but I did want to show respect to the super chat from C- Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. I appreciate that very very much, uh, and we did kind of address it, but I want to address it more directly, Ryan. And I'll mm-hmm. kick this to you because you and I have talked about what we've learned from our sources about what Notre Dame's looking for. Uh, he asked, are they going to talk about Notre Dame or is Notre Dame going to offer uh, dudes that can actually compete and win the starting position? Or is it another body to have in a quarterback room until CJ comes? Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a bunch, obviously Notre Dame is not going to take a guy just to take a guy. Like they have identified Austin Novosad and got and Kenny Minchie to start out with as they expand the board here, we believe those are guys that they think can come in and they can play football, right? Like they can compete to play for Notre Dame. So I, I know it, it's not one a situation where like, Hey, we want to have a quarterback every year, but like, this is a placeholder from Tyler Buckner to when CJ comes on campus in 2024, Notre Dame wants a guy that can come in and can compete to play for Notre Dame. So no, it's not a placeholder. They want a guy that can play football. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's not just, what we look at and it's not, and that's not just our evaluation of these two players. That's mm-hmm. what our sources tell us. They're not just now, if it gets to the point where they kind of have to take a flyer on a guy to fill a depth chart in November, cause they've missed on everybody. Sure. They may have to do that. But I think at that route uh, from the sources I've talked to, they would just say, screw it. We're just going to look at the grad transfer route. Like we'll just look for a transfer that, that, you know, that's a decent player that's looking to provide depth that maybe wants to get a degree from Notre Dame something like that I think is what they would do that instead of just taking a kid. Cause here's the thing. If you just take a kid for a body, you've now committed at least four years of a scholarship to a kid. You don't think can play for you. Right. And and that's just not a, a that, first of all, that's bad strategy. 
Uh, two, that's we've never been told that. And, and we've been told directly the opposite from our sources, that they believe these kids can play. And, mm-hmm. yes, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that Ty Reese absolutely loves C.J. Moore, and I've said this on this board many times, going all the way back to when Dante Moore first committed to Notre Dame silently, uh, C.J. Carr would kind of always kind of come up in the conversations that I'd had with people around Notre Dame. So I'm confident in saying that they love C.J. Carr. But they also understand, I think, that you can't just put all your eggs in a kid over a period of time, right? It's one thing to say we're going to only recruit this kid in this class. But when they did that, what was Tom Reese also doing? He was also recruiting C.J. Carr and Julian Sayan in the 24 class. And then, of course, mm-hmm. C.J. was the guy he wanted most, but they needed to make sure they could get C.J. And once that became apparent, then it was it was C.J. So they weren't just recruiting one guy in a class and saying, well, we're, we're, we're just going to rely on Dante and not focus on CJ or vice versa. So they understand that you, CJ's got two years left of high school. What if he gets injured? What if he doesn't pan? I mean, there's all types. They understand that. And so when they recruit these kids, they are genuinely looking for kids that they believe, which is also partly why and why I think they focused more on the first two kids than Brock Glenn. Because I think there is bigger questions about Brock Glenn. The ceiling is higher, but, you know, if he's not, if he doesn't, get to his potential, then, you know, he, he may not be able to help us when we need him to help us. Right. I think the thing about Novasad and Minchie, especially Minchie physically and Novus, both of them mentally, but Minchie's probably in a better physical position to play early mm-hmm. is, you know, let's see what kind of development Novasad has, but you know, what if Tyler Buckner does get hurt and, and Drew Pine transfers, you need a kid that can help you in your first couple of years. What mm-hmm. if Buckner blows up and transfers you know, or not, excuse me, not trans blows up and is in the NFL after his third year. And you're yep. going into the 2024 season, you know, with what true freshman CJ Carr? No, you want to have Steve Angeli battling with someone who's been in the system and CJ Carr is sure. where you want to be. And that's why it's important that they focus on a kid that they really truly believe uh, can, can, can play at a high level, in my opinion. I agree completely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
Let's got some more questions. Uh, MT41 says, Brian and Ryan, who would you rather have in this class if you could pick one, Kenny Minchie or Ricky Collins? If you would have asked me this about four or five days ago, I would have said Ricky Collins, but I actually am kind of leaning Kenny Minchie here. I, I think that every time I watch him, I just appreciate more and more about his game. And he's mm-hmm. got a sturdy build that we talked about. He's got a live arm. He's a good athlete. Like there's just a lot to like about Kenny Minchie, man. I I, I I like him a ton. Yeah, he's a he's a good football player. Ricky Collins is too, but there's just something yeah. about Minchie that's I think yeah. is a little different. I love Ricky Collins. I've said that for a yep. long time. Uh, I mean, to me. okay so this is a i'm going to answer it this way ryan and and tell me what you think about this answer yep if i'm doing a list of top 20 quarterbacks i'd probably rank rick i would rank ricky collins ahead of kenny minchie okay if i'm a quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator putting my roster together as i know what notre dame's roster to be i would take kenny minchie and the reason I say that is, is because I do think Kenny has a higher ceiling than Ricky Collins because Ricky's got a little bit of rawness to him still. He's yeah. incredibly talented and he's a good kid. I got a chance to get to know Ricky a little bit early in his recruitment before Notre Dame settled in on one kid, really good kid. I said his, as I said earlier, his commitment to Purdue and the fact that he's told Michigan and LSU, thanks, but no thanks, says a lot about him and his view of loyalty. Now that doesn't mean he won't ultimately decommit because decommitting doesn't always mean you're not loyal. Sometimes it's like, look, like, like Drew, Drew Tranquil struggled for months about decommitting from Purdue. And it was a, I gave my word, but I also know Notre Dame is without question the best thing for me. And it took him a long time to make that decision. And other kids have chosen not to do that. And and I, and I commend them for that, but I don't think a kid who, who flips just, you know, is automatically a little selfish. And I, I don't think that's always true. It's it, in each case is different. And sure. with all, with all due respect, um, there's a difference between Purdue and Notre Dame in a lot of different ways, you know, so maybe Notre Dame could get him, but I have a great deal of respect for him. But the reality is this Ricky Collins has, has still got a lot of rawness to him. And Kenny Minchie is a guy that I think, again, you've got to bring in a guy that could potentially within his first two years in the system could potentially step on the field and play for you. I think Ricky would maybe need a little bit more time in Notre Dame's offense against the competition that Notre Dame plays is just going to need a little bit more time. So even though if I'm just doing a prospect ranking, I would rank Ricky higher from a what Notre Dame's needs are, I think I'd pick Minchie. Now, I would have not said that a year ago. Because yeah. a year ago, the gap in them as players was significant. But after watching Kenny as a junior, he has closed that gap tremendously. And and I'll say this about both of these kids. In most years, in most years, Kenny Minchin and Austin Novosad are top 10 quarterbacks in the class. In most years, easily top 10 guys. Okay. Okay. Last year, they're both top 10 guys for sure. In this year's class, it's a lot harder because it's an incredible class. But fit-wise, I would take Minchie and Novasad over Ricky Collins because of the things that I that I had mentioned before. And at the end of the day, the cheesy answer is I'm, I'm always taking the kid that wants to be at Notre Dame, right? I mean, that's all. And then, you know, 99 probably became one, same thing. Uh, this is a different look at the thing. So earlier we talked, uh, um, Charlie Weiss's last belt loops question was, is how does Notre Dame view them? So Ryan, with this question, I want this to be more of our opinion. So I'm going to kick it mm-hmm. to you and let you answer this one. Cause I, I think we're on the same page. 
The question, 99 problems, but BK81 asks, can you win a title? Not whether Notre Dame thinks they can, but can you win a title with either or both of Austin Novosad and Kenny Minchie? So I'll let you kick off with this, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, the reason that we talk about quarterbacks being so important is that you can have a wider margin for error the better the quarterback is, right? Like maybe you have a deficiency in one spot or another, or there's something about your team that is a deficiency just as a whole group, like whatever it might be. I think that with how Notre Dame is recruiting and if they can develop, yes, the answer is yes. I think that they can win with both uh, both Austin Novosad and Kenny Minchie. I think they're both talented mm-hmm. enough. We just saw a Georgia team, and I know we talk a lot about like, you know, it's a little bit of a weird year, but Georgia had a lot of players drafted, obviously, right? They were a really good football team. They just won a championship with Stetson Bennett, and that is because there was a lot of good around him, right? So those guys, you need things to be a little better around it than maybe if it was a Dante Moore in the class or somebody to that degree, right, in my opinion. So the margin for error is a little bit smaller, but I think that with how Notre Dame is recruiting, if they can develop properly and they are the coaches that I think that they are, then yes, I believe that they can win with both those guys. I agree. I, again, I think to Ryan's point, are they going to put a team on their shoulders the way that Trevor Lawrence did? No. Do you know who else isn't going to do that? Just about everyone not named C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, maybe. Because even right. then, neither of them were the kind of athlete that Trevor Lawrence was. I mean, like right. I said, Trevor Lawrence went out and ran for over 100 yards against Ohio State in 19 in the playoff. And if he didn't, they wouldn't have won that game. Because yep. they were just beating Clemson's receivers up at the line of scrimmage. And and so Ohio State had to get out of that a little bit when because they were just running off the corners and Trevor was taking off running, and so they had to do some different things. And they're not nobody in the country, in my opinion, is that. So yes. nobody has that. Uh, can they be? You know, because like okay, so like what is Austin Novosad's ceiling as a player? If mm-hmm. he pans out and reaches his full potential, what kind of player can he be? And I and I sit there and say, Mac Jones. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, Mac Jones. Like, if he maxes out his potential, he's a Mac Jones type of player where, you know, Mac Jones is nothing like Trevor Lawrence. He's not in the same universe as Trevor Lawrence as a talent. But what was Mac Jones? I got players around me, and I'm a master at running this offense. And I yep. can make some throw. I mean, Mac Jones can make NFL throws too, right? He's not – For sure. He's not just some, you know, Division three kid who's wicked smart and can get the ball out to great players, right? Uh, so, I think, I think that's the kind of – player the st- style of play that that Austin Novosad brings at the table when I look at a Kenny Minchie I think the CJ Stroud comparisons are really comparable he doesn't have the the length and the size that CJ Stroud has but the type of player you know sure. I, I see a lot of that so does he have the same top five overall physical tools I don't know but I think he's a really good football player and right. you know as I, as I could think through some different guys you know, there's probably some better comparisons for the specific talent level, but Novasad very much compares to Mac Jones. I think with, with uh, you know, with Kenny Minch, I'd have to kind of think through some other type of players to just see more of the level. But like, this is a kid that flat out could come to Notre Dame, be a multi-year starter, and if there's some talent around him, you can beat anybody with him. And I'd say the same of Novasad. What they're not is is guys that are going to do it right they're not trevor lawrence that's just going to put a team on his shoulders and will you to victory deshaun watson was very similar to that to clemson and right you know in 2016 you know they they're and they're also no but because in the the, it's important though because they also can't be jacob coker and greg mcelroy because Mm -hmm. notre dame's they can't be stetson bennett they've got to be better than that right 
where they're not going to win the championship because of everything else and you just just don't screw it up. I do think these are kids that are good enough to say if you give me some weapons, I can go I can go make some I can go make some magic, right? Uh so yes, I do think they can be that kind of player. Are they on the same level as Dante Moore? No, I don't think they are. I mean, I've said this before. Dante Moore is my number one ranked quarterback in this class. But is the gap enormous? No, it's not. I don't think that it is. And in some cases, the ceilings, I would say, for all three players, Ryan, isn't that different? The ceiling. Right. Yeah. My thing about Dante is Dante has, in my opinion, without question, the highest floor of any quarterback in this class. It, it just my opinion. Brandon Plesner says, I think we talked about that earlier, Brandon, uh, the Chris Parson. Yep. Um, I, 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 he would be a little lower on my list just because of what Notre Dame is looking for. But if Notre Dame started to make a run at Chris Parson, I'd be happy because that kid's a, I, I really like his film. My only hesitation about Chris Parson is just, is he the type of player you're looking for? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But if Notre Dame said, hey, you know what? You know, we really think Tyler Buckner is going to be a dynamic run throw guy. And we kind of like having that element in our offense. Yeah, go get Chris Parson. He's not the athlete that Tyler Buckner is, but he he can no. make a lot of plays with his legs. Not a lot of quarterbacks are the athlete that Tyler Buckner is. And that's if you're looking for that, you need to go recruit Avery Johnson. That's the only guy that's a better athlete than what Tyler Buckner was coming out of high school, in my opinion. Number one ND fan, do you expect quarterback recruiting to go into the fall? Um, that's maybe. A, yeah, maybe. That's, it's, it's a little tough to predict that, right? Because, I mean, you're – you're pretty much restarting a board now. And it's, we talked a little bit about Austin Novosad in theory, wanting to have a decision whether to flip or not to flip sometime this month. John talked about that a little bit, but I mean, it's conceivable to think that they may want to take the process a little slower, whether it's Kenny Minchie or Austin Novosad or somebody else that's added to the board. So mm-hmm. I don't have a great answer. Cause I just, I don't know. I, I think that Notre Dame would like for it to figure, get figured out by the end of summer, but just impossible to predict since it's it's kind of like a reboot at this point, which is a little different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, what you're saying, Ryan, is if they if the two kids on the that we think are on the board now mm-hmm. uh, are are if they get one of those two, I think the decision it, it'll be done before the season starts. Yes. Yes. If they don't get one of these two and they choose to go somewhere else or stick with their current commitments, then yes, it will go into the fall. Because then you're going to have to flip someone, and that's going to take a much longer process than than a kid who's more of a natural fit for you, like Minchie, and a kid who's uh, can flip, but he's kind of open to being flipped, like to also know what's that. Flip right. Yep. Other guys, you're going to have to convince them to flip. We're like you know, I mean, so then you say, hey, okay, let's put all our, let's just recruit Ricky Collins, and let's do with Ricky what we did with Dante, and just put all our eggs in that basket. That's a really risky proposition, and I don't know if they can afford to do that a second time in this class. I'm okay with it the first sure. time. I know people can disagree on that, and but I think there's fair arguments to make on both sides. That's why I don't spend a lot of time arguing with people anymore about the strategy because I I think it's a it, it's I think it's a legitimate strategy. It's one I would have done. I also understand why people are concerned about it and didn't like it. Totally fair either side. It's one of those ones where I don't think there's a right or wrong in my opinion. I know the people right. that think that it was the wrong move to do all the they do think there's a wrong a wrong. I just don't. It just didn't work. And, and so uh, that's kind of where I'm at in, in this particular one. But was, yes, I, I think it could it could drag on for sure. And, and I know I know there's some people that didn't like the all in kind of conversation when it first happened. So those people, I mean, again, like you guys, I guess we're ahead of it in that sense. But a lot of it now is hindsight. I mean, it, it really is because 
like we talked about, I mean, Dante Moore was silently committed to Notre Dame. So if if he was if he was adamant enough to go public and then to stick to that commitment, if there was different things going on behind the scenes, then it's a completely different conversation right now. And then everybody would be praising the all-in conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I, I understand mm-hmm. it's when things don't go your way, it 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 makes you damper. But I agree. I think that there is definitely times where the all-in strategy is appropriate. And I think it was appropriate. It just unfortunately did not finish the way that we would have hoped. Right. Sean Ziegler says, are you guys losing confidence in landing Jade Nosbury? Um, Sean, I'd be curious. Uh, no, both of our ans- no. easy answers. No, I just would be curious to hear from you uh, as to why you, you kind of asked the question that way. I'm just curious. Like, are you, is there something that you're seeing or hearing? I'm, I'm yeah. very curious about that. But for us, uh, no, because what, what I found will happen sometimes is somebody will read something somewhere else and they come ask us this a general broad question about, hey, you know, instead of saying, hey, look, I just read such and such said that they don't think kids going to go here. Uh, what do you think? And then letting us speak to that specific report. Uh, yeah. And it may not be that he's just asking, you know, maybe just asking because he hasn't committed anywhere yet. Uh, but I would also encourage you to listen to the show that Sean uh, Davis and I did yesterday. We spent a lot of time talking about Jay Nosbury and where we think things stand. So I would be curious, Sean, to hear kind of why yeah. you asked the question that way. I think that would I would like to hear that if and you don't I, mind sharing. I, I, I think some things sometimes get taken in ways that aren't intended as well. Because like I saw somebody on the message board yesterday that was like, are you losing confidence in Ronan Hannafin or something? And I'm just like. I texted Brian. I'm like, is, is something happening here? Like, 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 did, did you say, like, and then he's like, did you say something on the show? I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. I, I guess there was just some misunderstanding in that, in that, in that example. But yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. We'd love to hear about that though, Sean. We'd yeah, love, absolutely. Love Adam Blair says, who are some of the top defensive linemen? And now that I know this is how to get Ryan fired up. <laughs> who are some of the top two defensive linemen in 2024? Notre Dame is getting high interest from. So, uh, yeah. Ryan, the first three that I would like for you to talk about and then name some others, I would like for you to kind of talk about Justin Scott, Elijah Rushing, and Nigel Smith. I can do that, Scott. yeah. There it is. Well, Justin Scott is obviously a massive, massive defensive tackle out of the St. Louis area. He's listed at 6'5", 310. He doesn't quite look 310 on film to me. He looks a little bit lighter, but, I mean, the kid is just length and explosiveness, and he moves really well for a guy that you would consider to be poss- probably a nose guard in Notre Dame system. So I like him a ton. Nigel Smith is one of my favorite players in this class. I mean, he's kind of that strong side defense man who will probably fit in as a three tech. Eventually he's out of the state of Texas. He's like six, four, six, five, 260 plus pounds. He's sort of similar to like a Jason Moore in the 2023 class that just committed to Ohio state. They're kind of that strong side defensive end, super physical type of players. And then Elijah rushing is out of the state of Arizona. He's six, five, 225, 230 pounds, so in that ballpark. Somewhat similar. He has a little bit of Keon Keeley to him, right? Like he's a little bit of a looser athlete. He's a Viper prospect. Um, Notre Dame is recruiting, but he could also maybe grow into a strong side defense yeah. man. Not quite as twitchy as a Keon Keeley, but certainly twitchy and long and has a lot of those traits. So those are a few of the guys that are still on the board on top of what they have already. And Brandon Davis Swain, obviously, and Owen Wayful. May I? I Brian, Brian let, let, let me yeah. interrupt you real quick because I do want to get your it. thoughts on, on – I want to follow up on what you're – before you move on, I want to follow yes. up on something. Yep. Do you do you think – because we've broken down sort of the, the why there's the strong side end now compared to back in the day when you could kind of have two of a similar type of guy. 
yeah. lot of it being the fact that and if more teams have to get guys out of the box at the second level, which means you have to protect the edge a little bit more, protect the inside gaps. You, you know, your your extra run defenders now coming from the third level a lot of times in the four two five three three five type of defenses to defend the, the teams that spread the width of the field. We've explained yeah. that. With that in mind. Do you think you could see a defense in the future that if Elijah Rushing maxes out his physique, uh, that you could see a situation where you have an Elijah Rushing type and a Keon Keeley type on the field together? I'm curious to get because you kind of mentioned in the passing. I'm really curious about that because I I think he's got a much thicker frame than maybe yeah. Keon did. Uh, but I'd kind of curious your thoughts on that if you could see those two guys eventually to where you can still get the physicality you need at the big end. But also, I mean, the one thing we know would be they may not be able to stop the run, but the one thing that that dude would be able to do is rush the flipping quarterback. So when I'm asking the question, I'm not asking it is when they're playing USC, can they do it? But more of in a traditional sense against a team that does have some balance, do you think those two could be starting bookends together down the road? No, that's a great question. I just would want to correct myself real quick. I accidentally said St. Louis with Justin Scott. I meant Chicago. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. right in Notre Dame's backyard. Mm-hmm. Yes, the answer you meant is to say yes. St. Ignatius is what you meant to say, because yes, that's the high school yes. he goes to. Has to be. Has to be. I, we've been talking I'm a lot st- about St. Louis today. <laughs> I think he's, he's, I get he's it, still man. coming back from vacation, people. You know give, him, give him a break. I mean, honestly, know? you know why? It's because like the next guy I was going to talk about is Jay Sean Ross, Ross, who's yeah. out of the state yeah. of Missouri. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, reshuffling here for a second. Yes, to answer your question, Brian, I do. I think that the difference i think it uh, ultimately the difference between the strong side end and the weak side um defensive end or the viper is going to become far less of like a, a difference in future years right like I, I think that you want players that can kind of do a little bit of everything and i mean when you have a guy like a keon keely and elijah rushing for instance i mean both those guys are in my opinion are going to be six five six six 260 pounds down the road. I think they both mm-hmm. can do those duties of playing strong side defensive end, but also play Viper, work in mm-hmm. space a little bit, but also be that rusher, right? Like be that true outside track guy. So mm-hmm. yes, I think that you do not have to separate them as much as maybe you once had to. Like, I don't think that you have to say, here's Isaiah Foskey, here's Myron Tengovailoa Mosa. Like, I don't think right. that those or are Khalid the Dream, right. right. I think that eventually those two are going to merge together a little bit more and they're going to be a little bit similar skill sets. And I also think that's going to happen, honestly, with the interior defensive line with three tech and nose. Like, I think eventually that's just going to be long, physical, gap shooting defensive linemen. And I don't mm-hmm. think that, I think that the ability to just rotate them, like, oh, strong side flipped, like they traded. Now, now the, the one tech or the nose. Is has to move over to three tech and you're fine. Like I think the interchangeableness up front or interchangeability is big time for Notre Dame moving forward. I think that you're going to see more and more defensive linemen that can do a lot of different things up front. Right. Now, obviously, Notre Dame is expanding their board. Uh, they they offered a kid recently, Williams Namary. I think Namary is my best guess on how to pronounce his last name. Uh, they off, also offered the uh, TJ Lindsay recently. Yes. They also offered the Smith twins from Connecticut. Yep. Uh, those obviously Williams had a lot of really good things to say about Notre Dame when you interviewed him. Uh, that was your story, right? Didn't yes. you write that? Yep. Um, it's so nice having enough of a staff to where I can like, I'm not sure who wrote that story. <laughs> I do love that, but uh, I thought it was you. Uh, yep. So he's, a, he's, I mean, you got to get him on campus. That's still very new. I know Notre Dame likes him. That's the way I offered him. They yep. also, I think another intriguing one is the Smith brothers out of Connecticut. Uh, Cause obviously Jacob. more yeah. often than not, Twins tend to be package deals, not always. And we've seen Notre sure. Dame benefit from, you know, 
not being a package deal with the McDonald's back in the day. Uh, they got Devin and Ricardo went to Pitt. But, it, you know, let's assume that they are kind of a package deal. What are your thoughts on those two type of players as far as their fit in their name and just their upsides as players? Yeah, so Jared and Jacob Smith. Jacob is the longer defensive ends, more the Viper type. Jared is more of the Jason Adam Alola type of interior defensive line, although he does play on the edge a little bit. Out of the state of Connecticut, I, I told Brian this, this stat before. I'm just going to reiterate it again, and I just want to say it slowly because it's still insane. Last season, as sophomores, those two twins combined for 58 tackles for loss and 19 sacks in one season. <laughs> they mm-hmm. had 58 tackles for loss in 10 games. They almost averaged six tackles for loss as a duo last yeah. year on the high school level, which is just yeah. absurd. So Jacob is the long defensive end. Like I said, he's 6'5", 220, 225 pounds. He plays, they play a three-man front where he's playing a lot of 4-4-I, four, four but he is a true Viper, man. He is bendy. He's got some change of direction to him. He's a twitchy, twitchy outside pass rusher. I like Jacob a ton. Jared is more of, like I kind of said, he's not the biggest defensive lineman in the world, but he's got some Jason Adam Lola vibes for me, right? Like mm-hmm. he's 6'3", about 260 pounds. He's probably going to be 280, 285 pounds when it's, when it's you know by the time he gets to campus, wherever he ends up choosing. And he's got a little twitch. He's got a little first-step quickness. He's a gap-shooting three-tech. Like that's what he is. So they are very talented. Uh, it's, it's I mean, that especially Jacob. I think Jacob is a really impressive player. But they're both ranked in the top 125, I believe, by 247. So, like, they're well-regarded players. And if they are a package deal, Notre Dame is going to be lucky because they are very disruptive defensive linemen out of, out of the state of Connecticut. So Sean Ziegler responded to why he was asking about the Jaden Osborne. Yeah. I, I love his response. I love the honesty of it. It's BKPTSD. Just seemed like it's dragging out a little. Uh, just so Fair. for context – uh, his recruitment actually is not dragging out. He was always he had always said in the past he was going to make a decision in the fall. He was going to take official visits or take visits in the fall, not officials because only has I think one official left. But he had always said stated he was going to be a fall decision. So if Notre Dame lands him this summer, it'll be a lot like what happened last year with Tobias Merriweather, where Tobias had said he was going to be a December decision, but he just knew Notre Dame was where he wanted to be, and so he sped it up. So. Uh, yep. It's actually not dragging out, actually, uh, at least not yet. Uh, now, if, as I've said, if this goes into the fall and he's uncommitted, then that could be like, okay, clearly he's not sold on Notre Dame. But I don't think him being uncommitted as of July 12th is giving me any cause for concern at this it's point. It's not a red time. flag. Yeah, right. Right. Well said. So uh, – some more stuff. Some re- really good questions. Adam Blair's D-line question was a really good one. John A1 says, does the pro-style quarterback prototype still exist, or has it been drastically changed? I would say yes and yes. It's – yeah. I mean, so the elements of of playing in a pro-style system, like the ability to go through reads and then be, you know, quick on your progressions and to, you know, understand spacing and do all that type of stuff. Like, yeah, it, of course it exists, John. I think you're seeing – different types of quarterbacks now being able to fit into that system because I mean honestly like there's private quarterback coaching I think there's just better coaching year-round I and mean, in perspective as well like guys are just being able to kind of assimilate the system a little quicker and it's kind of becoming more prevalent as far as the development is concerned so I think that it's it's to Brian's kind of points yes and yes like it's it yeah. has both merit on both sides in my opinion what we're not seeing as much of is the old school Dropback quarterback, which what did that mean? Yeah. That yeah. meant big, 
it meant sometimes a mobile, right? Lumbering. I mean, yeah, lumbering. you know, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you, you'd kind of like, there just aren't a ton of, like there aren't a ton of, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of like back in the eighties and nineties, you know, there just aren't a lot of those Jim, Jim Plunkett's. They're not Jim, like Jim Plunkett's you know, there aren't anymore. a lot of Neil Lomax's anymore. There aren't a lot of those kind of guys, right. Where they're just kind of big, you know, not overly mobile pocket passers. I think the quarterback has become a much more athletic position. There's, you know, like, like for example, John Elway was a pro style quarterback, but he's a pro style quarterback who was really athletic. Joe Around Montana was a <laughs> pro style quarterback, but he was an athletic guy. I think what's happened is, is now teams have looked for more of that type of pro style quarterback and, mm-hmm. or uh, like, so there's two guys that I think from back in my day that would thrive in the modern offense more than any others. And, 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 you know, obviously Montana's one, but I'm talking about different, you know, not Notre Dame guys. I think John Elway and Dan Marino both would be phenomenal in today's modern offenses. And I say that because I'm bringing them to it because they're such different players. They're yep. both pro style. Dan Marino would be an RPO machine. Now, not the read the RPO, but the NFL RPO, which is where you're pulling and throwing, right? With that, with that release quickness? Yes. So he <laughs> yeah. is a statue in the pocket, but his, his ability to get the ball out quickly and be a decision maker would help. But I do think that he would have some issues with, the speed of the game at times, which is honestly something he had issues in the NFL when he was playing. If you could have a really athletic, disruptive defense, Marino would get in trouble. And that's often, and that's why he never had the the overall team success that John Elway yeah. had. And and so with John Elway, I think he's more of the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen type, which of the modern pro style quarterback. I mean, he kind of, he almost say he was the first, but he was one of the first that, that brought that kind of arm strength. I mean, look, Mobile John Elway did not invent the mobile quarterback. I mean, go watch Fran Tarkenton, you know, go watch right. Roger Stallbach. You know what I mean? Like there were mobile quarterbacks, but they weren't often in the big size and the big arm that John Elway brought to the table. The offense has also changed too, because I mean, I'm watching games of John Elway. I go back and watch the 86 AFC championship, and he's taking like nine step drops from back under center. Back I mean, <laughs> your first three steps, you're turning around, it's like almost like you're running, you know? Uh-huh. And and the uh-huh. game has changed too. And, and so it, it, I think that to Ryan's point, that's where a lot of this, like you, there's a more diverse skill set where like back then it's like kind of all the quarterbacks were kind of the same. They're like six, three plus, you know, dropbacks. And then like the guys like Elway and Randall Cunningham and, and Steve Young were like these weird anomalies. Cause everybody's just looking for that guy that could do a seven step drop and the big arm and all that. I think, th- I think the immobile drop back quarterback is kind of a thing of the past, but then the counter to that is going to be like, but the greatest quarterback of this generation is exactly that guy in Tom he's, Brady. And he's still he's, rolling. He's right? he's in the he's at the tail end of the right. generation, though. To, but to your point, yeah. I mean, I mean he won a Super Bowl two years ago at the age of 57. I, I mean, you know, know what I mean? Like I'm talking no, about but, the guys that are coming in the game but, now. No, no, no. But here's the point saying. though. What what I'm yeah. saying, however, is that style can clearly still work. Sure. However, I don't think it's as easy as that style to work now as it did before. And that's why it's only being done by a guy like Tom Brady. I don't disagree is, with that. Is my point. Yeah. And yeah. so, whereas back in the day, a lot of guys were like Tom Brady in this regard, the, the lack of athletic. Now, they weren't as good as Tom Brady, but they were the, the tall, immobile, vertically oriented, you know, quarterback, which is what we, you know, what kind of Tom Brady was early in his career. Cause he, you know, evolved into a much different quarterback, but it was play action, throw the ball downfield. Like Drew Bledsoe to me would struggle in today's game because he's so unathletic. 
that the pass mm-hmm. rush would would consume him. I think the modern pro style quarterback is more of, and you could use you know Patrick Josh Allen to me is a bit of a unicorn. Uh, Lamar Jackson a bit of a unicorn. It's more to me the two prototypes of the modern pro style quarterback is more Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow. That you know where they're they're not runners but they're athletic, and you have to be that in today's game. For whatever reason, I don't think offensive line plays as good as it used to be. I also think part of that is because front sevens are so much more athletic than they used to be. That's fair. And I think it's yeah. a combination of those two things. And I think the offensive line thing is because you're seeing so many spread air raid offenses in college that that is a tough offense for alignment to transition to a pro-style NFL system. And we've seen a ton of these air raid guys, and, and not even just air raid, but like the Gus Malls on spread. A lot of these really good offensive linemen that play in those systems that really struggle when they get to the next level. And that's happened. I mean, Ryan, you and I could talk about a lot of athletic freaks that never pay Greg Robinson, right? A lot mm-hmm. of these athletic freaks that don't do anything in the NFL because the technical part and the mental part's not the same because of how simplified the air raid is. Whereas back in the day when kids are running veer and stuff like that, it was a completely different offense in the pro style, but it was still complex and technique was so important. I think the lack of technique that's taught at the college level by a lot of schools has not hurt skill players because it's easier to teach that. I think it's killing line play. And that's why I don't think offensive line plays as good as it used to be. Cause now it's so scheme driven where back in the day is it was technique driven and toughness and strength and length. Now it's like, you can have a team like Clemson with a very mediocre offensive line win two championships, <laughs> right? 20 years ago, that was unheard of. You know, you had to have a great offensive line. Was it, was that, was that shade thrown at Mitch Hyatt again? You need to let no, him live. No, no, not I'm at all. Kidding. Not at all. I loved, loved Mitch Hyatt. He was a really good undrafted player. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, Archer452 asks, do you think C.J. Carr is committed to the program or the coach? If Tommy Reese moves on before 2024, do you think C.J. sticks with Notre Dame? I think it's both, Ryan. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I think he loves Tommy Reese because that's the coordinator, but I, I think he loves Notre Dame. And he's also talked to us a lot about in our interview of him. Is Tommy Reese isn't the only person that recruited C.J. Carr to Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman was involved in that process as well. He came on later, as you'd expect but I think he's committed to the school. That's my read of the situation. That doesn't mean he doesn't love Tom Reese, but I don't think it's like if Tom Reese left for somewhere else, CJ would just automatically follow him over there. 
Well, and I also think that CJ's a thoughtful kid, right? So, like, I think he's aware that, like, Tommy Reese is a 29-year-old coach that has other aspirations. Like, does he think that he's just going to be the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame forever? Like, I, I think that they're – I think he reasonably understands that, yes, Tommy Reese's relationship with me is a big reason why I'm here. There's no doubt about it. But I think that it's a full scope. I, I would be very surprised if it, that if – CJ Carr's decision making was as shallow as one single coach. Mm-hmm. Very, very surprised in that instance. Right. Zachary asks, is there a possibility that they could wait and take two in the 2024 class? Ryan, I think this speaks to the the depth issue. Could they do that? Sure. Is that ideal? I think that would have to come, Ryan, with also taking a grad transfer to fill that need in 2023, in my opinion. Yeah, the no, depth. I agree. I- yeah, I, I, I look, guys, I, I think that I, I talked about this earlier. It, there's only been one time in the last 20 years that Notre Dame has not taken a quarterback in the class. I think there's going to be a kid in 2023. Now, if that's a reclassification for CJ Carr down the road, we'll see what happens. But either way, I think there's going to be a quarterback in 2023. And to Brian's point, you need a player in 2023 that can come in and that can play football, like a guy that can compete if something happens, right? So getting two in 2024 – if they're great players, awesome, but also they're going to be on the same equal footing going into the, the going onto the field and into the program. Are they going to be able to help early on? Are they guys that need to be kind of taken along slowly? There's a lot of question marks in that instance. So I, I think that I think that you're going to get a quarterback in 2023. I think you're going to get a kid in 2024. Ultimately, I do, I do not see them passing on a quarterback in 2023. Right. I just don't see it. I think the only way that happens is if they just flat out miss and just don't get anybody. And that's what we went to earlier is, is that would be where I think they would take a 20. They would pass on 23 if they just if the if they don't if they can't get one of the kids they like, I think they'd pass. If they miss on Novosad and Minchie and Collins and a lot of those guys, I think they wouldn't they're not gonna take a guy, just take a guy. I think that's when they would say we're gonna get a we're gonna get a grad transfer or a transfer to come in and provide depth in 23 and then take a second guy in 24. But then again, if you're taking a second guy in 24, that's not he, you're not going to get Julian Sane or Jaden Davis or D- Dylan Rayola to to come in with CJ Carr. The only reason Bama's doing it is because most everybody in college football recruiting knows that the odds of Dylan Lonergan ending up playing college football are not high. In right. my opinion, I think this is a play by Bama to help the kid out as much as anything because now he has some leverage as he goes into the Major League Baseball draft next year. Hey, you know what? You don't want to draft me higher. You want to pay me this. I'm just going to go play college football at Alabama. I mean, I, you know, I think that's a smart thing for him to do. So, I, I, I right now, from what I'm hearing, the odds of both of them ending up in college is, is slim. You, you just don't see that often where two highly ranked kids commit. Like, for example, you could get lucky and and the number 399 player in the country turns out to be Mac Jones which is what happened at Alabama. But Alabama didn't recruit Mac Jones thinking he was going to go be the number 15 overall draft pick. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you, you just don't see it that often. Uh, so my, my point is you're, if you're going to take a depth player in 24, you might as well just take one in 23. Right. Great. So I, again, I don't think they would take two, uh, but that doesn't mean if like they had to take a grad transfer and all of a sudden Julian Sanders was like, Hey, I, I still want to come to their name and I, I want to compete with CJ. Would they still take two? As long as CJ was like, yeah, cool. I'm cool with that. Right, because that's the thing too. Is like, so you picture you found your guy, and that's that's the reality of it, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I think that's what they're going to do. So, very good, very good question, Zachary. Very good question. Uh, and I, I think I think that's it, Ryan. I, I'm going to look down here and see if we had any more questions that have popped up here. Uh, 
down here from fans and I, I think we're I think we're good I think we got to most of them so good questions today everybody and, and really really good quarterback discussion in the chat today I really enjoyed watching that uh very much so that see some people are just trying to start some stuff okay you see some people are trying to start some stuff Jay uh, Bateman yeah wow. love it Where, so is, hey everybody is he, is he coaching somewhere is Jay Bateman it's got to be somewhere I mean somebody I mean if, look if Brian Van Gorder can get hired I'm sure Jay Bateman can get hired well, is, I mean is it Van Gorder in high school now he's, a, he's coaching yeah, high school, but he it? got hired twice he's at Florida as the linebackers coach that's cool I, I mean I can interesting. dig that I, yeah. I think he's a decent position coach I just don't think he's a very good coordinator He's not an idiot. He didn't get to where he's gotten to because he's just a complete idiot. I mean, he did some nice things at Army. He did some nice mm-hmm. things at Ball State. That's when I first met him. Uh, it was when he was the when he was uh, when I first met him. Like that's the first time I'd actually hung around him. I first met him because I coached against him when he was at Siena as the head yep. coach. We played them when I was at Duquesne. But uh, a friend of mine coached at Ball State. Had a chance to meet him down there. Nice guy. Uh, good position coach. I just don't think he's a big time college defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, I think he's an Army college defensive coordinator. But hiring him as a linebackers coach at Florida, that's a good hire in my opinion. I, I think, And I've heard he's a decent recruiter. I don't know that firsthand, but I've heard he's a decent recruiter. So good for him. Good for him. It was never personal. I just think he's really bad as a defensive coordinator. His defense in North Carolina were garbage and very poorly coached. But as we've said, hey, not every coordinator is meant to be a head coach. Not every great position coach is meant to be a coordinator. Not every good coordinator at the lower level is going to be a good coordinator at a higher level. Your success doesn't always translate. And uh, sometimes it does. If it did for Jim Tressel, you know, uh, but it doesn't always, in my opinion. So um, that's the reality there. So that's going to do it for today, everybody. Thank you all so much uh, for joining the show. As you, as hey, don't forget, right? Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Share the podcast. Those things help us, right? So when you share the podcast, when you hit the like, when you hit the do those type of things, it helps us in the algorithm. It helps us continue to, you know, be seen by more and more people. If you're listening via podcast, give us a five star review. That also helps with the same thing. And if you don't want to give us a five star review, I'll actually kindly ask you not to give a review at all. <laughs> but you're more than welcome to. But I'll ask you not to. Uh, but we would really appreciate a five star review. And of course, as I said, man, our message board has exploded the last week. We're really excited about that. Tons of new signups. We've we think we found the fix for our board speed. It's been much, much, much faster the last few days. So that's been good. Tons of great conversation. And I'm just dying to start doing more and more team stuff. But it's just every time I do, something comes up with recruiting. Uh, but we're really gonna start getting into our preview here moving forward as well. And uh, so just a ton going on at our breakdown uh, as we get close to our three year anniversary. Uh, which I'm kind of excited about. So launched Irish Breakdown. The first game I covered, Ryan, as a member of Irish Breakdown, was for the Virginia game in 2019. So the last game at my previous stop, I covered the Georgia game, and by that next week I had uh, launched Irish Breakdown. Actually, it might have been two weeks. I think they had a bye, if I remember correctly. I'm going to have to actually look at that now. I believe they had a bye. So I had like a little bit of a period where I was able to kind of get things rolling. So let me just go back and look at that. No, it was that very next week. So uh, I had something in play and was able to make things happen to where I could get free and go over here and do some things. And so the first game we covered was the Virginia game. So, and that was basically October 1st of uh, October. uh, No, so September 28th. So it was right before October. And uh, so we're, we're close, man. So we're, we're, um, we're coming up on our three anniversary. We just had our one year anniversary, of the message board, which was pretty cool. 
Uh, it's gone by really fast, but then it also feels like it's been around for a lot longer than that. Uh, but we're, we're, we're just, we're just continuing to grow and, and, you know, it's, it's still fun to see some names in the chat now that we're here from like day one and, uh, we absolutely love it. So anyway, everybody, uh, Mace, you were a little late, man, getting this up. So we've already kind of gone all through this, but you know, and tr- I'm a guy, a tradition guy, join the message board, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, leave a five-star review, visit the IB store for the, for the mer- best merch. And as always, Go Irish. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tonight. Ryan, you'll be with Sean on at the kickoff of the IB Nation Sports Talk at 6. You guys are going to have some recruiting updates tonight, you and Sean, and then him and yes, uh, Vince are going to be together talking about some things. Let me see Sean's notes here real quick. Uh, you're going to have some recruiting topics. His son, Jesse, actually will be with him tonight. Uh, and uh, this should be Jesse's last show without a microphone. So we have ordered him a microphone, just waiting on it to arrive. So hopefully that'll happen soon because jesse brings a lot of good content we just got to get that sound even better they're going to have some fun it's it's a would you rather topics relating to notre dame so that'll be a really fun show Uh, i'm looking forward to that that'll be a a blast so this is how this is how long our show went today ryan my wife just texted me she i dropped her off at the airport and then came right home and started like five minutes ten minutes after i got home that's where we're a little bit late and she just texted me. She landed in North Carolina. <laughs> so the plane's already landed. Uh, and she didn't take off till well after the show had started. So great, great show today. Lots of great questions. Lots of great content. And uh, we'll talk to you all again here very soon. What? Two hours, right, Ryan? Two hours. You're going to be back at us. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, have a great day, everybody. And we'll talk to you again on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>